0: Thank you. That's fine. Thank you. I think this may be the first time I've ever disagreed with Pastor Josh. I'm not a young and upcoming (laughs) pastor. I can promise you that. But what a joy to be back in this place and in this pulpit. And uh, I'm excited about being here. Because I want to express to the church family how that God answered my wife and I's prayers by bringing Josh and his family and uh, to have a man who preaches the word of God, to have a man who has vision and faith and is leading the church in this way. Every pastor who's been in a church a long time pastoring doesn't want to see the church go down. He wants to see the church go up. And that's what's happening here under his leadership and the new staff that's being brought in. And I just want you to know, uh, for a long time, I've not had a pastor except pastor friends that I could call. But uh, to have Josh as my pastor is a great delight and a great joy. And I call him my pastor. And I can echo what he said about me. I love him with all my heart. And I thank God that he came to Prince and that God's using him as he is I hope you'll pray for your pastor and support him and follow him and encourage him. And above all things, just love him. And I know you do. And I can sense that when I'm here worshiping with you, it's always an exciting time. Let me also, just uh, before I begin, say a word of thank you to all of you in this church family. As a trustee of the International Mission Board, I get to see firsthand and hear firsthand of these young men and women, these young couples with children, some with as many as four children, going out to the fields around this world, serving God in very difficult places. We have missionaries going into countries where we cannot show their face and cannot tell their name because of the dangers that they will face in countries that are 99.5% Muslim. And yet they're there to do one thing, that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you for your support. Every time you give your tithes and offerings, part of that goes to the cooperative program and part of that goes to our work on the mission field. But what I really want to thank you for is your generous gift, $295,000 this past December and January to support our missionaries on the field. You're supporting some of the people from our church, the OAs in Japan, the Thorntons in the Middle East. And I just can't help but just keep thinking about how The support goes on because of your generosity. Let me say to you, we now have 3,700 missionaries working with people groups all over the world. And I'm grateful that when we send them, they're sent not from the IMB, but they're sent from the churches. And they know that the church is sending them, and we're there to support them and to help them and enable them to do their work. And our work is very, very simple. We simply have an entrance into a country, into a people group. And they begin to learn the language, begin to make contacts and get to know people and develop friendships. They begin immediately sharing the gospel because part of what the entrance involves is evangelism. So we enter, we do evangelism, and after the evangelism comes discipleship, which is followed by church plant. They may meet in a warehouse. They may meet in a business. They may meet in somebody's home, but the church is established there, and then we develop the leadership. So that when our missionaries exit to go to a new place to serve, what happens is there's a church there with a pastor and leaders and teachers and people that can help teach the Word of God uh, weekly without our missionaries being there. Our goal is not to go and stay forever. Our goal is to go share the gospel, to give discipleship, uh, plant a church, and then develop leadership, and then we exit off the scene, leaving that church to continue to grow and to plant other churches. So I just wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart. Our theme this uh, year is something that uh, all of you can do. It's, it's just very, very simple. It's pray, give, and go. And uh, every one of you here can pray for our missionaries on the field. And every single one of you, I, I believe with all my heart can give because when, no matter how small or how large your gift, all the Lottie Moon money goes directly to the field. Nothing stays here in Richmond or where our headquarters is. Every penny that you give like that goes immediately out to our missionaries on the field. So in reality, your gifts this year are keeping our missionaries from our church on the field. And I'm just so thankful for that. Your generosity makes that possible. And so I just want to tell you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And uh, pray for Darling and me. We're going to uh, Amsterdam in just a few weeks to meet with missionaries from all over Europe. Uh, somebody says, Europe, man, they've got churches. Oh, no, the churches are closing. The churches are being made into institutions uh, for plays, even bars, restaurants. Uh, the, the faith that, uh, of the Reformation in Germany is so absent now. There is a darkness over Europe that you cannot believe. Many have religion, but they have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's why our missionaries are there. They're having a tremendous meeting, missionaries from all over Europe, coming together for worship, for prayer, for planning, for training, and just the fellowship with each other, with other missionaries from across that, uh, that, that part of the world. So pray for us as we go. We're looking forward to being with them, and uh, we look forward to enjoying that time with our missionaries. Now, let me just take a minute and ask you if you have your Bible this morning. If you do, would you turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to be just a minute getting there, but let me just tell you. I uh, sometimes think about life. I'm getting older, and and uh, you know one of the things that I think about a lot of times is is life itself. Have you ever had a time in your life when life just didn't make sense? You looked at the things that were going on around you, and you just you just couldn't figure it out. And you know you trust God, but somehow you have questions. Sometimes you look at the pain, the sorrow, the suffering the things that go on in your life, around your life, and you, can't, you even ask the question sometimes, why? God, why why this or why that? You know, sometimes life doesn't make sense, but let me just tell you, sometimes God doesn't make sense. You kind of wonder, what in the world is God doing? What is God up to? And, you know, I, I see that all through the scriptures. I think about Abraham. Abraham had promised, uh, was promised by God a son. He said, you're gonna have a son, that is the son of promise, And he's going to become a great nation. And through your lineage, the whole world is going to be blessed. I want you to think about what God promised Abraham. And then one day, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, the only son, the son that you love. I want you to take that son out, and I want you to take him over where I'm going to show you. And I want you to sacrifice that son to me. Can you imagine what went through Abraham's mind? God, how are you going to fulfill the covenant? God, how are you going to work this out? This is the son I love. This is the son you promised me. This is the son through whom a great nation is going to come. And here you are, Lord, telling me that I'm to take this son and that I'm to sacrifice him. You know, I cannot help but just believe that uh, that Abraham certainly could not see. But somehow, I believe in Abraham's heart, he knew that if he sacrificed his son, that God keeping his promise would raise him from the dead. Just read, if you will, Hebrews chapter 11. And you'll see that writer of Hebrews explains that possibly Abraham had that faith, that, that confidence that God was gonna do what he said he was gonna do. I, I've been listening to the messages by Josh, and I tell you, uh, this messages on Joshua have been tremendous. Have you ever thought about... Uh, That first city that they defeated when they crossed the Jordan and went into the land, boy, I think Josh just hit it right on the target when he said, you know, the whole issue is they were going to have to win the battles. But the key is that the first battle had to be done totally by God, not by them, so they would understand that the battle is won through the Lord's strength, through the Lord's power that he was going to give to them. I thought it was so strange, you know, what God said. I wonder what what Joshua must have thought. You go around the city once each day for six days. Don't do anything. Just go around the city. On the seventh day, go around the city seven times, blow the trumpets and give a shout. I'm going to give you the victory. You talk about absolute trust in God. Man, I don't know where I would have thought that's the way to win a battle. You were in the military. That's the reason, not the way you win a battle. But God did it to show them he had all power and all strength and that they had to trust him in all their journeys through that land. I think about Moses. You know, Moses is one of the most interesting characters in the world. There he is on the backside of a mountain tending sheep. He had fled from Egypt because he had had witnessed a murder and then he himself killed a man. And have you ever thought how God suddenly appeared to him in a burning bush? Now, you know, that that alone is kind of strange. And when he went to examine it, he heard a voice out of that bush. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Moses removed his sandals. And then God said to him, Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt. You're going to be the deliverer. You're going to deliver my people from the Pharaoh and from the bondage that they're in. I had to stop and think about that a little bit, and I thought to myself, here's Moses on the backside of a mountain. God speaks to him. And I'm sure Moses was thinking at that time, what in the world is God up to? I don't want to go back to Egypt. And then he started with his excuses, one excuse after another, after another. He was in essence saying, God, that's what you want, but who me, this doesn't make sense at all, that you would send me back to deliver from Egypt and all the armies that they have, you're going to deliver the people through me. It just does not make sense. I think about Jesus. You know, they didn't understand him. Remember when Jesus said, after the great announcement that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, remember how He told them, it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. I have to suffer and I have to die. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised again. It made no sense to the disciples. In fact, Peter spoke up and said, oh, Lord, far be it from you. Forbid that that should ever happen. And you remember Jesus' response? Peter, no, not Peter. Satan, you get behind me. You see, it didn't make any sense to Peter, even the disciples. Where do you find him after the resurrection and his crucifixion? Where do you find them? In an upper room, fearful, and hiding in fear of their lives. What they do in the garden? They ran off and left him. You see, they couldn't understand the God's eternal plan, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come, that he would die for our sins, that he would be buried, that he would be raised from the dead, that he would be raised up to assure us that our sins are forgiven and that we can have eternal life. But those disciples didn't understand. That made no sense to them. We thought you were coming to give us a kingdom, and here you are. Right? Talking about dying? You're talking about being buried? You're talking about a resurrection? That's impossible. And then you know you just keep reading through the scriptures. It's interesting. Mary and Martha, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it's interesting how the Lord Jesus replied to them. He said, Mary and Martha, your brother is, is, is not really sick. It's what he told the disciples. Said, your brother's not really sick. What this is is for the glory of God. And I'm sure those disciples, all the way to Mary and Martha's, were wondering in their heart, here is a man that is dead. And he said, it's not unto death that his sickness was. They didn't understand that. In fact, I'm sure they were wondering all the way, what in the world is our Lord talking about? What is he going to do? If he's dead, he's dead. And then Jesus said to them on the way, don't you understand? This is for the glory of God. What has happened to him will give glory to God and show us the works of God. I also think about sometimes that man born blind. Jesus' disciples were walking along. The man sitting on the side of the road. He was blind. He couldn't see. He'd been blind from birth. And here are the disciples looking at this man. They said, hey, Jesus, was this man born blind because of his parents' sin or was this man born blind because of his own sins? And I thought, how strange a comment. They didn't understand. But then Jesus made an unusual statement. He said, this man was born blind so that we could see the works of God. And he healed that blind man. And that blind man could see, and the disciples are sitting there thinking, this man was born blind so that we could see the works of God? Now, think about that. A man dies. A man's blind. And all of that for the work and the glory of God. There are times when you read in the Bible and you say, you know, God, what you're doing here, we understand because we're looking back. Those people were living in that day and looking forward, and they couldn't fully understand. God just didn't make sense to them. And that's why I want to take you to Genesis chapter 37. There's something I want to share with you this morning. Because sometimes when life doesn't make sense, and it doesn't, sometimes when God just doesn't seem to make sense in the way he's working and what he's doing, we need to step back and look at a life. Because in the book of uh, Corinthians, the Bible says that these things are written for our admonition. You know, everything in the Old Testament, Paul said, was written for our admonition. Now, it was written, that means we receive a word from the Word of God. And admonition means it's for our instruction, our encouragement, or even our rebuke. Part of that passage, it's rebuke. But the other part of that is instruction and encouragement. And so when I look back into the Scriptures, I think to myself, who would be the best person to look at their life when life doesn't make sense? And immediately I thought of Joseph. Joseph is one of the most unique young men that you'll ever find in Scripture. Did you know you'll never find anything in Scripture where he fell into sin and where he got messed up in his life and had to have his life turned around? All the others, you look at them and you see those weaknesses and those places where they failed and those places where they didn't honor God and trust God. But not Joseph. Joseph was born into a family with a lot of older brothers, and he had one baby brother. Joseph was a unique person. Because somehow he was born to Abraham, Abraham's, Jacob's favorite wife. And so being born of that favored wife, he was kind of favored. But more than that, Jacob began to love him. Love him more than the other brothers. And it became evident to the brothers. Our father loves him more than he loves us. And you know, it's interesting. Joseph was such a favored son that he made him a beautiful robe. And uh, probably it was a white robe signifying some kind of honor, and then around on the robe on the sleeves and the on the hem of it was were different colors that were there. And it really was like, here's somebody that's more royalty. Well, his brothers were sheep herders. They were out with the flocks, they were out with the mess, the dirty the, the the dirty work with the sheep, they were out in the fields, they were there in the heat and in the cold, they were there in the rain, and here was a here was a brother that was definitely selected by their father to be better than them, loved more than them. And on top of that, God was working in Joseph's heart and began to show him things through dreams. And every time he had a dream, he'd go share it with his father and his brothers. And boy, I want to tell you, it didn't help. Because what he said to them was, one day you are going to bow down to me. God has shown me that I'm going to have authority and I'm going to be a ruler and you will bow down to me. You will fall before me. And boy, those brothers that envied him, and those brothers who spoke unkindly to him, the Bible says they began to hate him. They hated him with such hatred that the day came when they were down in Shechem, dangerous place to have your sheep. There were raiders and there were marauders. And and so the long short of it is that the father said to uh, Joseph, said, Listen, I'm concerned about your brothers. I want you to go down there and see about your brothers, check out that they're okay, come back and bring me a report that the brothers are okay. So Joseph does what his father asked. He was obedient. He went immediately and he went to one place and then another. And then he found out that they left the area of Shechem and they'd gone down to Dothan. And so he made his way to Dothan and as he was coming in the distance, the brothers began to talk among themselves. And they said, you know what? Let's kill him. Best thing we can do for him is kill him. Let's just get him out of our lives. You see, when you allow envy, When you allow bitterness towards somebody to get a hold of your heart, it won't be long till you'll be thinking even harder thoughts. And so they decided that they would kill him. And when he came to them, they took him, they seized him, they stripped him of that beautiful robe that he had. And what did they do with him? They threw him into a pit and said, we're going to kill him. And as they waited for that opportunity, a caravan came along, the Ishmaelites, Midianites. And these captured Joseph and, uh, excuse me, they, they sold Joseph to those brothers. And I, as, I, as I think about this story, I'm thinking, what is going on in Joseph's mind? His brothers jump him. He can hear them plotting to kill him. They throw him in a pit. And now he hears that they're going to sell him to the Ishmaelites. Do you think that in his heart and mind he thought this makes sense? It made no sense whatsoever to Joseph. What in the world is God doing? I'm supposed to be elevated to a position of leadership where my brothers bowed down to me. Now my brothers have stripped me. They throw me in the pit. and Now they're selling me into slavery, into Egypt. And so we begin the story with Joseph and what happened with his brothers. I want you to think with me for the moment if you'll turn to Genesis 37. And I want you to look at a couple of passages. Look at verse 18. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him. Let us cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Verse 27, it says, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. That was one brother interceding for another brother. And his brothers listened, and then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Look at verse 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now listen carefully. One minute you're on the pinnacle, and the next minute you're in the pit. And you go from the pit to Potiphar's house where you've been bought as a slave and a servant. Now listen carefully to what God says in his word about Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the the sight and served him. Then Potiphar made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. What was Joseph thinking? What had to be going through his mind? What is God up to? Here I was to be a leader. They were to bow down to me. I was to have authority. And now all of a sudden, I'm a slave in Egypt. And then it came, the big temptation. I don't know whether you've ever thought as you've read the story of Joseph, but this this astounds me. Joseph strengthened the Lord. Joseph being in Potiphar's house was exposed almost daily to Potiphar's wife. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a very handsome young man. That he was just, he'd be the ideal young person as far as looks, wisdom, his work, everything about him. And so she began day after day after day after day to try to get him to go to bed with her. Joseph had had to be thinking, why this temptation? I have two thoughts on that. Number one, it was a place of temptation. God didn't bring the temptation. Satan brought the temptation, but let me tell you what happened. Joseph withstood the temptation. You all remember the story. I don't have to read it, but you remember how one day she caught him by the garments and said, I want you to lie with me. And when she did, he slipped out of that coat and fled. I think that's why in the New Testament the Bible talks us to flee from all types of immorality. Joseph fled. And when Potiphar got home, that little wife of his said, oh, this this Joseph, this guy you brought into our house, how could you do such a thing as this? He tried to molest me today in my own house. And so Potiphar had him imprisoned, put in prison. Now just think for a moment. From the pinnacle of your dreams all the way down to the pit, to Potiphar's house, and now to the prison. And when he was put in prison, Psalm 105 says that he was put into shackles. They actually shackled Joseph there. It wasn't long before the the, the man who was in charge of the prison began to see that there was something special about him. Look at verse 21 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the the Lord made to prosper. Stop now for a moment and look again. Everywhere we look, God was with Joseph. When everything seemed to be going the wrong direction, everything seemed to be falling apart, nothing made sense. The one truth is that God was with Joseph. God was making him to prosper even in the most difficult times of his life. From the time that he was sold until he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams was 13 years. For 13 years, he was a slave. He was threatened to be killed. He was in jail, in prison for something he didn't do. God sometimes seems to not make sense in the way he's working and the way he's doing. But God had given Joseph these dreams. And he told Joseph, "Your, your family, your brothers will bow down to you one day. That will happen. And then the fact that the Lord was with Joseph through these difficult times sustained him for 13 years until he stood before the Pharaoh. And here's something that has always fascinated me. The Pharaoh after his dreams were interpreted, said this about Joseph, the Spirit of God is in this man. How did a pagan Pharaoh see that the Spirit of God was in this man? After all he'd been through, that is what sustained him and kept him going and kept him not not understanding what God was doing, but understanding that God had a plan and God would fulfill that plan. And so when I look at Joseph's life, I begin to ask myself the question, What do we do when life doesn't make sense? What do we do when God doesn't seem to be making sense in what he's doing? Sometimes God will use the most unbelievable things in our life to get us from here to where he wants us to be. And we don't even understand at the moment, what is God doing? I can tell you, in reality for me, I was getting ready to be a senior in high school. And I remember very, very plainly that my dad had to take a job in another city. And that was the one thing I rebelled against. I was out of the will of God. I knew the Lord, but I wasn't wasn't serving God. I I wasn't following Him. I wasn't trusting Him like I should have been. And I wanted more than anything to graduate from high school, the high school that I attended in my senior year. I went to 12 schools in 12 years. And the one thing that I wanted was to graduate from that high school in the town that I was in. I wanted that more than anything. And I'll be honest with you, when we had to make that move, something happened inside of me. I, I just kind of shut everything off, shut everything out. And, and you know, I just, I, I, I resented my family. I resented what, what I felt like God was doing to me. Didn't understand. But, you know, it was within just a few months of that move that God sent two people into my life that seemed very coincidental But as I look back, it was one of those God moments where God did something special in my life. And at their invitation, I went to a a church. Just check it out. I was curious. And guess what? Within 12 months, God had called me to preach. I met my wife, and I began to preach and began to serve God. And if you had asked me 12 months before that, I would have said, I have no clue what's going on in my life. I felt everything was totally messed up. Everything was out of control. And you know what? God changed my heart, my life, my future, my purpose in life within just a short period of time. I didn't understand. And you know what, as I looked at this and looked at Joseph, I said, what is it we can learn from Joseph? How did he handle this for all these years? How did he handle brothers hating him, wanting to kill him, selling him into slavery, being a slave bought by Potiphar and serving in a house, being lied about, going to prison, and then being forgotten about by two men that he interpreted dreams for? It just blows me away. How did he handle this? That when he stood before the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh would say, there's one thing I know, the Spirit of God is in this man. So when sorrow comes, pain comes, hurt comes, misunderstandings come, questions come to your mind, God, what are you doing? Just look at Joseph. And that's what the Bible means when it says these things are written, all these things for our admonition, for our instruction, so that we can know how to respond when things come into our life. Let me just share with you a couple of things that I learned from him, and I want you to just write them down. If you've got a piece of paper, write it down. I'm just going to give you four quick things. The first thing is remember that God doesn't always do things the way we think he should. Did you ever think about that? God doesn't do things the way we think he should. God is sovereign. God is at work in this world. God's at work in us. And God's going to do what he knows will get us from point A to point B and will help us to come forward and trust him more. God just doesn't do things the way that we think he should. For example, listen to Isaiah. Our thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah hit the right on the target. God said, hey, listen, I'm sovereign. I'm God. My ways, my thoughts, they're not like yours. You look at it from a finite position, I am looking at it from an infinite position to accomplish what I want accomplished. And so when I think about that, I think about what Romans said, when Paul said in Romans, oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out who has known the mind of the Lord, who has become his counselor, or who has given to him, and it shall not be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. What the scriptures teach us is that God's ways, God's thoughts, God's ways are so far superior to ours. All Joseph could know was this. God must be at work because he is with me, he is blessing me, and he's using me while I'm going through this time of trial. Second thing I want you to think about Joseph learned this, and I think it's good for us. We trust God even when things don't make sense. Have you ever been there where you just have to trust God? There's not anything else you can do. You know, nothing makes sense it's going on in your life, things that seem to be falling apart, and that's when we're called upon to trust God. Listen, anybody can trust God. When everything is going great and everything's wonderful and we're prospering and we're being blessed and everything just looks so good, it's not hard to trust God. You know where it's hard to trust God? When all of a sudden you can't see what God is really doing in your life. And when all of a sudden things that were your plans seem to fall apart and disintegrate or when somebody is slipped out of your life that you loved and that you cared about and you're asking the question, God, why? God says, I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me. That means put your faith in God. And trust God with your day to day existence and with your future and say, God, I am going to trust you. How come we can trust God? Because the better you get to know God, the more you can trust God. You know, when you have a problem with your faith and with trusting God, possibly the problem is that you do not understand God's character, His attributes, who He is, that He is truly the sovereign God. For example, how do I know that I can trust God? Well, There was a day when God spoke to my heart. I came to know his son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. And I began to get into the word of God and study the word. And I began to see in my life and in the word as it came together that my God is a God that can be trusted. My God is a God that I can put my faith in, that no matter what happens in my life, I can say to him, I trust you. It's kind of like Job. Remember when Job was going through all of his trials? I'm sure, you know, I don't think God ever told Job. What was going on in his life that he was being tested? I find it nowhere in Scripture, but somewhere in Scripture, Job was asking questions and Job was wondering what's going on. And all of a sudden, Job Job just made this statement. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I will trust him. No matter what happens, I will trust him. I'll keep my faith in him. I'll keep my eyes focused on him because he is a God that I can trust. I think about this a lot of times. We know that he's with us. I like when Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's there. But I don't feel him. That's not the issue. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, his spirit dwells in you and his presence will be there and he will say to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's why that faith has to be focused on him. I know that he loves me. I know that he loves me. There are people who doubt that God ever could love somebody because of the situation that they're in. But let me just tell you how much God loves you. He sent a son from heaven down to this earth who lived a sinless life, suffered and was ridiculed and cursed. He had every temptation that you and I have and yet he did it without sin. And that sinless son went to a cross and shed his blood, taking all of your sins and mine on himself, on that cross. They took that dead body down from the cross, laid it in a tomb, and three days later, he walked out of that tomb to say to you, it's all paid in full. You don't, you don't owe anything. I've paid the price for you. And instead of having death, I have life. I can have life abundant now, and I have life eternal promised to me by the Lord. And that's where we put our faith. Knowing that he loves us, I can trust him God, that doesn't make sense, but I can trust you and I know that you love me. I know that, that you love me. And did you ever stop to think that, I, you know, he cares for you? Did you ever stop to think that he, he, he knows you and has given you precious promises that you can claim? Dear Christian, let me tell you, you need to get a hold of the promises of God and rest your life upon God's promises because God cannot lie. I love it when, the, for example, Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. You've heard, some of you have been here a long time, have heard me use this phrase. When you cannot trace the hand of God, what God is doing, you can trust the heart of God. Now think about that. When you can't trace the hand of God, God right now, I, I just don't understand what you're doing. You can trust the heart of God, that he is faithful, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he's given you precious promises that you can stand on all of your life. And when you're facing that last breath here, have that wonderful promise, absent is to be present. And by faith, you step out into eternity. Let me give you a third thing. You just keep serving. You know, when I look at Joseph, I thought, you know, I'm not sure of the cut or character of Joseph. It would have been so easy for Joseph to have had that affair with Potiphar's wife. If this is what God's going to do in my life, if this is what's going to happen to me, Nobody will ever know. My father will never know. He thinks I'm dead. My brother sold me into slavery. And this is the reward that I'm getting for serving God and being faithful to God and loving God like I do. Nobody will ever know. And you know, one of the great tragedies is that sometimes in our lives, when we get in difficult places, we can ask questions. God is a loving God. He doesn't care. He'll let you ask the questions. But above all, he says, I want you to trust me. I want you to put your faith in me. And Joseph, with strong character, said, I will not do this and sin against my God. But what did he do? He served so well in Potiphar's house. Potiphar said, here, take control of my house. You can do whatever you want. You've got it. You're being blessed, and I want to be a part of your blessings that God's given to you, that your God is giving to you. Then what happened when he goes to prison for something he didn't do? You find him serving. The head jailer said, man, I'm taking you out of these shackles and these chains. I'm going to make you in charge of everything going on in this prison. You're in control. And when a baker and a butler came and had dreams, what did did he do? He said, hey, listen, I I can't give you the answer to the dreams, but my God can give you the answer to the dreams. And so he told him exactly what was going to happen. Butler, you're going to be restored to the Pharaoh. Baker, they're going to cut your head off. Boy, you're about to die. Just remember that. And he just kept on serving everywhere we see him he's serving you know sometimes what happens when we are hurt going through those difficult places we want to just back off everything but well, what will happen if you keep on serving is you get out of yourself you trust god's promises and you minister to other people it's the hardest thing in the world you know sometimes we we don't understand things that happen in our lives people say, well, you pastored here 43 years. Do you know there were some times I was sitting on the front row and at that moment I would rather have been anywhere in the world than where I was. What I was going through with my family, what I was going through with my own personal life, it was just the hardest thing in the world. But you know what? God said, I didn't call you to sit, I called you to serve. And I would come and sit here and there were times that I had tears while we were in worship time. Just because things in my life. And you know what? When I got up to preach, it was like this is what I called you to do and this is what you should do. We just recently got something in our bulletins for places to serve. And you may say, well, I just don't feel like serving right now. Hang up your feelings and trust God and get something to do and start serving in the body of Christ. Just say, hey, Lord, I'm available. I know I'm hurting, but maybe by being here I can encourage somebody else. Joseph lived an unselfish life. He was always good. When Pharaoh called him, what did he do? He went immediately and said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I can't interpret your dreams. But I'm going to tell you what your dreams are. And on top of that, I'm going to tell you what your dreams mean. And it's not because of me. It's because of God, the God that I serve. And because he served God, he had to serve others. So just kind of remember this, kind of hang this up. Remember, God doesn't do things always the way we think or the way we plan. And remember that the most important thing is trusting God no matter what we're facing or what's going on in our life. And the third thing is just keep on serving. Keep on serving. And the last thing I'll share with you is this. You know, if anybody could have been bitter, I really think it could have been, it could have been Joseph. Coming to a time of his father's death, the brothers got excited We know what he's going to do. Now listen to this. Joseph had forgiven them. Joseph had loved on them. He had given them land. He had made them prosperous in those few years his dad was there in Egypt with him. And the brothers thought this. When our dad dies, he's going to kill us sure as we're living. And you know what? When Joseph understood what they were thinking, he called them together. This is what he said. I I want you to listen to this because it's an interesting thing to me. He said, but as for you, you brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. He ended up in the pit because he served his father. father said, go check on the brothers. He ended up in prison because he served faithfully and refused to fall into temptation. He was neglected for two years after he gave the interpretation to the butler. Butler said, I'll remember you, but he forgot him. And now here he is, second in command over Egypt, and his brothers come and they bow down. You know, the Bible says he wept, he wept. How many times did he shed tears? And he forgave his brothers. And it says, now, therefore, do not be afraid of me. I will provide for you and your little ones. And listen to this. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's quite a man, isn't it? That he would speak. It was 25 years before he saw his brothers again. 25 years. There was time for bitterness to build up in his life so that when he saw those brothers, he could put them to death. And guess what? He forgave his brothers. A lesson that you can learn when you're going through the hard places, the difficult places of life, and God doesn't make sense, life doesn't seem to make sense. It's just not a matter of understanding that God's still at work no matter what you see or think or or how you feel. To know that you just trust God and put your faith in him and just rely upon him and his promises, his word, and keep on serving. It's not all about you. Sometimes we need to stop and realize it's about others. I've told this church family that some of you are new and haven't heard this before. My first year here, we had a tragic death of a little boy that drowned at one of our church members' house. It was an outing after Bible school. We had a lifeguard there. Everything could be done, was done. It was their only son, wasn't it, Richard? I was young. I would just gotten here. And I didn't really know Richard and Martha very well. And I went to the hospital immediately to the emergency room. And I kept thinking, what am I going to say to them? What do you say to them? Their only son. Church outing. Made no sense. Did it made no sense. And who walked in the door? But Harrison Gladys Parham. They had lost a three-year-old girl when a mail truck backed over her. And they, they, were pay, they were in pain for a while. I didn't say anything, but Richard, when you and Martha walked out of that room, Harris and Gladys were there to embrace you. I just stayed out. You see, God took something hard in their life that made no sense and gave them the ability to serve others by trying to help and minister to them when they were going through the difficult places. I thought, man, what a picture of God's grace that God used a tragedy in this person's life to comfort a person in this place of life. That's the way God prepares us, so don't quit serving. And above all, don't become bitter toward God or toward people who may have wronged you, defrauded you, treated you wrong. And I mean, just don't hold bitterness in your heart because what Joseph began to understand was that everything that took place in his life, everything, everything, was a sovereign God bringing things together for God's glory and to preserve a nation, the nation of Israel, through whom the Savior would come into the world. You know, I don't know where you are today. I want to close by just asking you where you are today. Do you understand that God is at work and he's sovereign? And you may have been praying about this, that, and the other, and it didn't come about the way you thought. Just remember, God doesn't do it your way. He does it his way. He's God, infinite, who loves you, cares for you, giving you promises that you can stand on. And so what I would say to you is this. Trust the God who is God and able to do more than we could ever ask or think. Trust God. Put your faith in. There may be somebody here today who's never taken that first step of putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You've never taken that step. You need to take that step today because that's the beginning of learning to trust God and have faith in him. Sometimes our faith is weak. Sometimes it's strong. But that faith is developed by the word and prayer and fellowship and serving. That's the way God develops your faith in him. And so I would encourage you today, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever you feel that life has let you down or God has let you down, step back and say, Lord, no matter what's going on, I know that you are God and you're at work and I'm going to trust you. And some of you may need to make that initial step today of putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to say this to you, serve. You know, sometimes we get in our minds that I've done my bit for God. No, you haven't. We should be serving till the last breath that we draw, if it's possible, if it's it's possible. We should be at, at our best serving others, ministering to others. And sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's praying with somebody. Sometimes it's doing a ministry of the church that you may think is so inconsequential. It really doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It matters. God wants to use you. No matter what you're going, and in fact, what you're going through makes you a better servant of God on the other side. Just think about that. And the last thing is simply this. If you've got bitterness in your heart today, it will not only affect you, it will not only affect your family, it will affect everything that you touch. There may be somebody that you haven't forgiven. Joseph forgave his brothers. Even when they wanted to kill him, he forgave them. Sold into slavery, he forgave him, Put him out as a slave in prison, all because of his brothers. But he forgave him Because see how he saw somehow the hand of God upon his life. And so I would ask you today, if there's bitterness of any kind, somebody's wronged you, somebody said something hard about you, somebody has, has treated mistreated you, taken something from you that can't be restored, Ask God to give you the grace and the strength to say, Lord, help me to forgive. I want to forgive. It's a choice. Joseph made that choice, and that's what made him God's special man. So I say to you here this morning, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. There may be somebody here today that needs to step out and come and just say to one of the pastors here, just say, hey, you know what? I need to trust Jesus Christ. I need to put my faith in him. And let me tell you, the smallest faith, that's the beginning, that simple trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, let me just say to you, there's probably somebody here today that needs to say, Lord, I've been kind of taking everything. It's time for me to start giving some things. I need to start serving. That's not left up to everybody else. I need to plug in, and I need to find a place where I can serve. I hope you'll fill that form out and turn it in. There's some little kid that your life could touch. There's some little baby that could hear some of the first lines of a chorus or a hymn or some song that talks about Jesus. Take a step. There's a teenager that needs a godly example in front of them. Grocery store owner impacted my life. A grocery store owner taught a bunch of teenage boys But he loved every one of us and he taught us the word. What a blessing. Mr. Pruitt will always be a part of my life. There's a place for you in the body to plug in and serve. Follow that example. And then when those times come, you can say, God, my faith is in you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you.